They say that beauty will save the world. What is our role in that as a wife? Today we are launching into a rather touchy series. Um, I hope to surprise the listener with what I have to say on this subject. I hope very much to at least bring something to the table for you to chew on that maybe has just never occurred to you before, um, but I do want to give a caveat. I have yet to meet a woman who doesn't have strong opinions when it comes to appearance. Whether that's to have the opinion that making oneself physically attractive is something that ought to be done out of charity for our husbands, or on the opposite end of the spectrum, choosing to test waters by a deliberate lack of effort, usually backed by some reasoning along the lines of that a husband vowed to love his wife regardless of how her looks change. So just from the title of this episode and this first minute, if you strongly feel that you are not going to be able to listen to this episode with an open mind and an open heart, then please do feel free to skip out uh, on this week's episode. I hope you can come back to it one day. And if you're a longtime listener, I hope you know by now that I'm not trying to hurt anybody with what I say. Um, But that what subjects I choose to tackle are part of my commitment to my audience to try to discuss those subjects which I believe are most important and most helpful in striving to be a saintly wife. Our appearance as wives is very much part of our journey towards heaven. And if that sentence alone already sounds painful, if it's triggering, then please take a break for this week, revisit something else uh, from the discipline of joy or something, and pray for me (laughs) as I do strive to present this information gently. For everyone else still listening. There are many layers to the subject. Um, There's a lot of unpacking to do, so let's get started. I have tried to be my usual pedagogical self in ordering the presentation of these layers, but it's it's hard to do so. Um, So forgive me if it feels scattered the first time around. If you need to listen to it again, I promise you won't need to do it nearly as many times as I've taken to reorder my notes on the subject. But we have to start somewhere. So let's talk first about a truth which I hope you have heard in your Catholic circles as much as I have. And that truth is that faith is caught, not taught. Faith is caught, not taught. In the second episode of Mass of the Ages, one of the featured priests quipped that there are plenty of efforts to increase the number and improve the quality of catechetical programs. And yet, another featured priest gives this statistic, that for every person who enters the church, 6.5 people leave. The conclusion then, based on these two statements, is that the church is not growing smaller due to a lack of teaching Or at least that's not the primary reason for its shrinking, not anymore. The church is growing smaller because fewer and fewer people live a faith that is catching. What do we mean by catching? Well, this is what Pope Paul VI was trying to get us to understand when he talked about the new evangelization. 
Spoiler alert, this was not a phrase coined by St. John Paul the Great. That is a misconception. Side note, definitely watch episode two of Mass of the Ages on YouTube to supplement your understanding of St. Pope Paul VI and his role in Vatican II. Okay, so the new evangelization. What is evangelization if not the business of making the faith attractive to others? We talked about being in a second age of apostolic mission um, a few months back in episode 29. And that's the first layer to the subject. The Christian has a responsibility to live his or her life in such a manner that makes the beauty of their faith evident to all with whom they come into contact. The Christian has a responsibility to make the faith attractive to others through their own example of living it. Second layer of discussion. If you have a solid pastor, you have probably heard your pastor talk about your responsibility to evangelize within your existing circle, encouraging every member of the laity to stop thinking about the new evangelization as something exclusive to missionaries, but rather to realize that each of us is a missionary in our own home. Our mission territory is our own home. So with that said, your husband's primary, most constant example of the faith is you. You're it. (laughs) This is hard for a lot of us. Most of us want our husbands to learn how to be good Catholic husbands from other good Catholic husbands. And it's such a wonderful thing when they do. But you know, we always assume the best of husbands here at the Will to Wife podcast. And one of the things that falls under that assumption is that men are intentional about seeking a wife who will make them a better person. Not a wife who will make them feel like a better or more superior person because of her being someone he can then walk all over, but rather a wife who will inspire him to go the distance, and who will not only inspire him, but show him how to be a saint. In the dark age of our marriage, uh, my husband once told me that he no longer wanted to be Catholic if Catholicism was my brand of Catholicism, my nagging, critical, coercive, manipulative, intimidating behavior towards my husband was making it difficult for him to believe in the unconditional love of God, which I had vowed to image to him. My husband was finding it difficult to believe that there was a point to claiming the Catholic faith if doing so meant feeling justified in treating people the way I treated him. Who could blame him? I can't, not anymore. I completely understand how he got to that point. And I praise God that I was held accountable for that while there was still time to change. The faith is meant to pervade every aspect of our being. The way that you wash dishes, the way that you tuck your children in for bed, the way that you give your husband a decent back rub or a half-hearted one says something to your husband about your faith and how you allow it to influence your life. Again, this is 
very difficult for many of us and it seems to go against everything we know about male headship in the family. So many women complain about how their husband is not the spiritual head of the household, right? I want to challenge you on this. I really want to challenge you on this. For the sake of discussion, I'm going to focus on the family in which the biblical order exists, meaning that the husband is the primary, if not sole provider for the family, and the wife, regardless of whether or not she works to supplement the income, owns her responsibility as the homemaker, and the family goes to Sunday Mass, okay? So in a situation where there are no children, I ask you to consider what is it exactly that you want from him? In general, he isn't going to tell you how to go about your spiritual life. He assumes the best of you, that you are a spiritual adult who is perfectly capable of initiating and maintaining whatever practices you discern for yourself are needed and best suited to your person and your state in life. Most men are not going to check in on their wives to see if she has done her daily rosary or if she has said her morning prayers or what. Most husbands trust their wives to be responsible for their own faith life. What women tend to want is eyes on their husband's spiritual life. What they really want is to know what he's up to. Is he praying every day? What does he pray for? Does he pray for her? Does he pray for their marriage? Does he pray for kids? Does he actually think about God and his faith at all? But see, women tend to have the same assumptions regarding their husband's spiritual life as the assumptions that they have regarding his emotional experiences. And that assumption is that if he's not talking about it, it's not happening, right? You assume that if your husband doesn't tell you that he's angry, he doesn't tell you that he's happy, he doesn't tell you that he feels disrespected or unappreciated or what, that he's not feeling any of that. And especially when it comes to negative emotions, women insist that adults should be able to talk about their feelings. And so they will say things like, well, if my husband feels disrespected, he should tell me and then I can do something about it. And this is just neither accurate nor healthy. In fact, a provider for a household is often in situations at work where he has to table his emotions in order to get things done. And so for him, this ability to compartmentalize is not only necessary, it is a strength. And it is a strength at home, too. Consider many women, when they feel taken for granted, when they feel unappreciated, not only sit their husband down to talk about it, but retaliate by deliberately serving him less. And so I ask you, when was the last time that a girlfriend complained to you that her husband had told her that because he felt disrespected by her, that he was just going to quit his job? and stop putting in the effort to support her. Just because your husband doesn't talk about his faith life, just because he doesn't want to discuss Father Mike Schmitz's latest episode of the Bible in a Year podcast, just because he isn't asking you to join him for his daily rosary, doesn't mean that none of that is happening. 
Sure, it might not be, but why does it matter so much to you to have evidence of his faith? If you had more evidence, what would it change about how you treated him? What should it change, if anything, about how you treat him? The simple fact of the matter is that the quality of your husband's faith life has no bearing on your responsibilities to him as a wife. However, another thing to understand is this. We women, we've all seen the memes reminding us that everything we do in the work of keeping a home and raising a family is a prayer, right? We've seen that dishes washed and diapers changed are part of our prayer, that living our vocation with excellence is a prayer in and of itself. What is preventing you from understanding that the same thing applies to your husband? God has charged your husband with the task of providing for his household. This is the prayer that God demands of him. This is the faithfulness that God demands of him. It is a wonderful gift to have a man who invites you to pray the liturgy of the hours and suggests confession and mass to start off every date and wants to discuss the latest thing that he's processing from the read the summa in a year email. That's, that's wonderful. But if those things aren't happening, does it mean that he doesn't have a faith life? No, any more than him not talking about emotions means that he's emotionless. That is essential for us to understand. Switching gears to a situation where there are children, again, I want to challenge you. What exactly is it that you want? If you are the primary caregiver for the children, it is assumed that you will be the one teaching the kids how to drink from a cup, how to brush their teeth, how to tie their shoelaces. You don't wait for your husband to tell you what life skills your kids should be taught next. You have an instinct for that as a mom. You have an inherent responsibility to teach them those things as the primary caregiver. And having an active faith, praying daily, these are just as essential and basic as any other life skill. I don't, I don't understand <laughs> women who are complaining that their husband isn't thinking about how to mold their kids in the faith. Moreover, they make this assumption again because he isn't talking to them about it. So two things to understand here. First, to realize that being grounded in the faith through daily prayer and other spiritual practices are fundamental skills, just like how to brush your teeth and tie your shoelaces. So with that said, the assumption that you should be making is that your husband assumes that you don't need direction. And more importantly, that he trusts you to think of all the little things that need to happen and trusts you to execute those things. Your assumption should be that your husband has great faith in you. Your assumption should be that if he didn't trust you to raise the kids in the faith, then he wouldn't have married you. That if he thought you would suck at teaching the kids how to be faithful Catholics, that he wouldn't have married you. Second, to realize that a man leading a family in faith by his example looks very simply like this. Number one, being faithful to you, his wife. And number two, being faithful in his work, which supports the entire family. Anything extra is extra and fantastically extra. But those are the two basics of a faithful Catholic husband. Fidelity to his wife and perseverance in his work.
If this is the man that your children have as their father, they are absolutely seeing an example of faith. So with all of that said, if your husband isn't the one coming up with ideas to try to go to daily mass or to try saying a rosary daily as a family or to try saying the Divine Mercy Chaplet every Friday at 3 p.m., does that mean that he's failing as the spiritual head of the household? No. Failure and fidelity to you, his wife, and failure to provide for his family are objective failures in spiritual headship. Remember, we shared this first from episode 22 from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, quote, If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his own family, he has disowned the faith and is worse than an unbeliever, end quote. The strength of that language, worse than an unbeliever, should indicate to us how integral a man's job is to his spiritual headship over his family. If you have a faithful husband and a faithful provider for your household, ladies, your husband has a solid foundation for being an excellent spiritual head of your household. Engaging daily in the faith is a fundamental life skill and therefore it falls to you to teach your children the hows and even the whys behind that fundamental skill. Why do we pray the rosary is just as much in your jurisdiction to respond to as why do I have to brush my teeth or why can't I have candy for dinner? Another essential part of this discussion is, well, first of all, I think I just need to say it. I think men fundamentally understand much better than women that how you live your daily life is what you believe, what you really believe. And so with that said, women who, ah, they just don't recognize when men are actually exercising spiritual headship. Here's a big example. Fathers who are involved with disciplining their kids are exercising spiritual headship. Guess who tends to object to and eventually squash men's attempts to be involved with discipline? Mothers. Yep. But what is the objective of discipline? but to teach a child how to live virtuously. Now, I'm not saying that your husband's methods are always perfect, but neither are yours. Both of you are figuring this out. Both of you are parenting this specific child for the first time. Every child is different. The point is, discipline is an example of an area where a man is exercising spiritual headship and too many women both fail to recognize it and fail to support it. Then there's an avalanche effect. Discipline is one of the ways that men teach their children about their values. When a woman doesn't support her husband's disciplinary efforts, she's essentially telling him that she doesn't want the kids to learn the values that he holds. So why would he then start coming up with devotions that they should do? Why would he try to teach them prayers or engage in philosophical and theological discussions if the message that he's gotten from his wife is that his values are not appreciated and or that he's a bad teacher of virtue? Again, what most women mean when they complain about their husband's spiritual headship, and especially when they throw their kids into the mix of reasoning, what they actually mean is that they want eyes on their husband's faith. They don't trust him, and they don't assume or expect the best of him because they do not understand fundamentally what God expects 
of their husband. A wife striving for sainthood neither negates nor contradicts a husband's spiritual headship. Quit using that as an excuse to not be the absolute best example of the faith that he can hope to encounter in his life. Okay, third layer. Joy is always attractive. Joy is always attractive. Authentic joy is the mark of the true Christian. And what do you know? God hardwired humans to be so very attracted to authentic joy. God hardwired humans to be so very attracted to the external indicator of a life being lived in his grace. The discipline of joy propels not only you in your faith journey, but can actually propel others towards God as well. Everyone wants to know the secret of the joy-filled person. Everyone wants what the joy-filled person has. The fourth layer, still regarding the discipline of joy, but here is where I want to begin to introduce another dimension to that discipline. And that's relating to our health. Consider this, we've all been told that laughter is literally medicine, right? I mean, we all learned this in like grade school. Laughter actually causes physical changes within your body, so much so that laughing heartily on a regular basis brings measurable health benefits. Go look up the studies, they're incredible. God is so amazing and so good. What a beautiful gift this is to us. And what an incredible proof that God desires for us to be joy-filled. Remember that Adam and Eve were created perfect. They were created flawless without suffering. God's desire is that we should not have to suffer the consequences of sin. Physical ailment is one of the consequences of original sin. The fact that laughter can have a significant, measurable, positive effect on our well-being is astounding. It brings us closer to perfection. I mean, to me, that's just mind-blowing. Laughing heartily on a regular basis brings me closer to perfection. It can help preserve me from the effects of original sin. Wow. I want to stop here for today. I hope that's a good place to stop for this week. And I, I hope I've said something surprising today for you to chew on and get the wheels turning. As always, we're grateful for your feedback. Please feel free to leave us a voice message on Anchor or comment on our Facebook page. I hope you've all had a wonderful Sunday and especially a wonderful Father's Day. God bless. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find all the quotes and resources referenced in today's episode on our website. We'd love to hear from you. And we're looking forward to having you with us again next week on the Will to Life podcast. Thank you.